0: So this morning we come back to our, our Roman series <clears throat> after a month's break. You you might <clears throat> you might recall that we broke from the series uh, in part because we had finished Romans eleven, and uh, we were set to begin Romans twelve, which is what we're doing this morning. And uh, and so it was a good place to break uh, th- the triad of, of themes: sin, salvation, service serves well, even as a summary of the whole of God's Word, uh, what is the Bible about? A a fitting and helpful answer is sin, salvation, service. So first of all, God's Word is about sin. Scripture reveals the charge of sin against every human being. And as it levels this charge, it, it teaches that sin is the violation of God's law, Uh, Where the law of God says do, we don't. And where the law of God says do not, we do. Uh, But such sins, uh, sins of omission and commission, as we say, uh, these are not just occasional intermittent acts of, of rebellion and negligence. Such acts of sin are the outflow of what we are. In other words, sin is not just what we do, it's what we are by our nature, a nature that we are even conceived and born with. So that whether by birth or by rebellion, we are worthy of the judgment of God. So secondly, praise be to God that uh, Scripture is also about salvation. Uh, The point of the charge of sin, uh, as heavy and severe as it is in Scripture, the point is uh, not just to crush sinners and leave them in despair. The charge and conviction of sin serves to reveal the glory of Christ and the wonder of salvation, also taught in the Word of God. And the good news of salvation is that God forgives sinners and counts them righteous in his eyes through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus the Savior. But as devastating as the charge of sin is, and as glorious as the message of salvation is, there is a sense in which that's only two-thirds of the teaching of God's Word, because there is yet the call to service. Psalm 116 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And that should be the question in, in one form or another, the question of every true believer in Christ. On on one hand, God's word is clear that we are saved by faith alone, apart from any of our works of obedient service to God. In other words, we are saved remarkably by resting, by sitting down, by resting and trusting exclusively in what Christ did for us. But as the saying goes, while we are saved by faith alone, we are not saved by a faith that is alone. A true saving faith will always be accompanied by the striving of obedience let it be clear that on this side of heaven it will always be it will always be an imperfect obedience and it will always leave us looking to christ and his obedience his righteousness for the assurance of our salvation but the heart that is looking to christ will ask the question what shall i render to the lord for all his benefits to me the heart trusting in christ the heart struck with wonder at the grace of God will say, I want to live for Christ. I, I, I want to live and perhaps even die for the one who lived and died and rose again to save me from my sin. So sin, salvation, service. And this morning, let's hear the teaching of God's word regarding our service the thankful obedience that we are called to offer to God in grateful response to what he has done for us in Christ. As I've mentioned, we we hear the connection between salvation and service in Psalm 116, verse 12, where the psalmist writes, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? He answers, I will offer to you the sacrifice of. Of thanksgiving, So even in Psalm 116, we see that whatever we offer to God must be offered on the basis of thanksgiving as a, as a response and an expression of gratitude. But the same connection is made in Romans 12, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Here we need to stop and, and see that that while the triad of themes, sin, salvation, service, are threads that run throughout Scripture, this outline is perhaps never so clear as it is in Paul's letter to the Romans. In fact, here's here's an exercise for you to do in response to this series of sermons if you haven't already done it read the book of romans from beginning to end with its three part outline in mind from romans 1 through chapter 3 verse 20 you will read paul's teaching on sin in in romans 321 through the end of chapter 11 you will find Paul's most comprehensive, among all his writings, his most comprehensive teaching on salvation. And starting with Romans 12 verse 1 and and on through the end, you will read Paul's teaching on service, which is to say the response of gratitude to which we are called as believers in Jesus Christ. And here again is one of the strengths of the Heidelberg Catechism, that that not just the answers to the questions, but the entire outline of the, of the Catechism is a summary of Scripture, and most directly patterned after the book of Romans. So as we look at Romans 12, just verses 1 and 2, we again find the important connection between salvation and service. Paul writes, I, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. To some degree, Paul is summarizing everything he has written uh, up to this point with the words, the mercies of God. We might paraphrase him in this way, that, that now that Now that I've taught you the deep mercy of God in Jesus Christ, I call you to this response to offer yourselves fully to God. As Christ took up his cross for you, now take up your cross to follow him. As Christ laid down his life for you, so now lay down your whole life for him. In other words Paul is making it clear that he hasn't just been teaching doctrine for the sake of doctrine. These are truths to be or these are not truths to be written down rightly and then put on the shelf. Instead this ought to be a movingly delightful doctrine. This this ought to be the truth that turns our hearts to Christ into a life lived for Him. But let us understand that that it takes a a right and, and full understanding of both sin and salvation to bring us to this point of wonder, this point of eagerness to live for Christ. So, if we don't know the true misery of our sin... We will not see the true glory of Christ and the wonder of God's amazing grace. If you, if we don't know that, or or if if a person doesn't know that that the house is on fire, that person is not going to understand why their door is being broken down and why they are being grabbed up and and carried off without dignity. And uh, and that person will likely be annoyed and angered by the firemen coming to rescue them. But if you know that your house is on fire, even more if you feel the heat of the fire, then who cares if the door is broken down? And and if you know that you are trapped and staring death in the face, then how sweet the sight of those who have come to save you. So, so praise be to God that the teaching of Scripture regarding sin leads to the proclamation of the Gospel. But as we hear the Gospel, let us be moved to a joyful thanksgiving and to an eager desire to live for Christ. By the mercies of God, let us present our Bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And notice that it's a living sacrifice. The point is, uh, the point of having salvation is Christ. In Christ is not that we just sit around looking looking for heaven. By all means, we ought to look forward to heaven. In fact, it's only by the promise. The expectation of heaven set before us that we will forego the pleasures of sin now. But we are also called to live now in this world. We are called to be engaged in this world for Christ. We are called to make a living sacrifice to God in response to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But notice also that living for Christ will be a sacrifice. We cannot separate the word sacrifice in scripture from the setting and context of the temple. Even as lambs and goats and bulls were slaughtered in the temple, even as throats were cut and blood was poured out and it was splattered upon the altar. Read through Leviticus sometimes. So we are called to a graphic fight against sin. We are called to the extreme in our battle with sin. We are called to mortify the flesh, to to put sin to death within us. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Perhaps we sense at times that obedience to Christ will be difficult. And learning to do the right thing will, will take time and, and effort, and it will be costly. And too often I think we, we proceed by the assumption that well, such sacrifice should not and, and is not expected of me. But why not? When that's the very language of Scripture, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And again, how will we come to do this? Why should we lay down our very lives for Christ? Why should we take the narrow road that leads to life when there's an easier way, a broad road that is easier and and more comfortable? Well, because we're truly grateful. Because we are ready to make the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We, we have grasped the, the mercies of God. We know that the broad road leads to destruction. We have felt the heat of the fire. And we no longer care if the door is, is broken down. We have been taught and we have learned the misery of sin. And we have come to recognize the sweetness of Christ. And the glory of the gospel. Who cares about a broken door? And who cares what cost we might be called to pay in this life as we live for Jesus Christ? And this is what Paul means when he writes at the end of verse 1 that this is your spiritual worship. Those of you with another version of the Bible or with sharp eyes to read the, the ESV footnote, will know that this can be translated your reasonable worship, or your rational worship. You see, it, it's only logical. Don't let anybody tell you that the Christian faith is illogical, because nothing could be more logical. Sin is misery, so that salvation comes by the heart-melting, soul-stirring grace of God, all leading rationally, quite logically, to a life of sacrifice as we strive to live for the one who has saved us. If you give a child a, a piece of candy, he's, uh, he's likely to smile and hopefully to say thank you. If you pull a person back from stepping out in front of a speeding bus, that person is likely to be at a loss for words, dumbfounded by gratitude. Instead of just smiling and saying thank you, they're more likely to say, I don't, I don't know how I can possibly thank you. So if, if you have truly been so graciously saved from your sin so graciously saved from hell, then surely the logical response is certainly to say thank you, certainly to be in church on the Lord's day to say thank you, but even further to live each and every day for Christ, to offer yourself wholly unto Christ and to his service. So the word spiritual can also be translated reasonable or rational. And the word worship, your spiritual worship, can also be translated service. The church used to talk about what happens on the Lord's Day as a worship service. And, and to some degree that term is still used. But I also think that there has come to be a separation between worship and and service instead of participating in a worship service the church too often it would seem just gathers to worship and one thing that is lost in this separation of worship from service is the understanding of worship as a response to God and we need to get back to worship as our service to God we need each of us to to come here on the Lord's Day, not just to worship by, by sheer choice and, and goodwill towards God, but always as a response to what He has done for us in Christ. And let our worship be a grateful response. Let our worship be a matter of saying to God, I, I, I don't know how I can possibly thank you. But in the very least, O oh God, I owe you this. To spend a measly hour or two singing your praises and hearing all the more of what you have done for me, all the more have, of how you have loved me, all the more of Christ and his cross for me. Another way to, to put it is in terms of intentionality. What is our intention? What is our thoughtful purpose? As we come to church each Lord's Day. Do we come on the basis of that. Voluntary. Voluntary. Pragmatic spirituality. Or do we come by way of an intentional response. To the grace of God in Christ. Romans 12 verse 1. Calls us to offer to God a reasonable worship. A a rational service. In response to his mercies. Toward us in Christ. And it's important. That we are here, but it's just as important why we are here. Lest we seek to honor him with our lips while, while our hearts are far, are far from him. So it's heart and mind for Christ. Heart and mind for Christ. But maybe it would be better to say mind and heart for Christ because it begins with what we know. And yet by what we know of the gospel and of the mercies of God to us in Christ, that our hearts will then well up with thankfulness for all that is ours at the cost of our Savior's blood and life. And then only as we are worshiping on the first day of the week as a response to what God has done for us in Christ, only then will we proceed to live each day in grateful response. The call of God's word is Lord's Day worship, but Lord's Day worship is, is, is a prototype. It's a weekly prototype, a launching pad, a, a springboard into the full week of worship. So that in the end the call of God is to rise each day with intentionality, to live each day deliberately, to offer each day a reasonable response to Christ and the gospel. So as the next point this morning, it's 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 first about your mind. Let's focus on that. Romans 12 verse 2 goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world. So when Paul in verse 1 calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, he means this, that we not be conformed to this world, but that we should be transformed. But how is that going to happen? Will we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, simply by the sheer force of our wills? By the sheer force of our spirituality? Will inspirational speeches keep us from being conformed to this world? You can do it. Just get busy and be a Jesus person. No, we will not be conformed but rather transformed only by the renewal of our minds. And here again is is another summary statement of sorts uh, for for everything that Paul has taught up to this point in Romans, the renewal of your minds. Why such an emphasis on doctrine? Why spend the time and ink to write all these matters that are found in Romans 1-11? through Because only by such truth will our minds be renewed. And only by the renewal of our minds will we be transformed. And only by our transformation will we not be conformed to this world. And here then is the, is the deadly error. The deadly error of those even in the church who, who dispense with doctrine. Uh, granted, there have been and, and still are those who treat doctrine as something only to get right on paper and, and, and something to file on the shelf under the heading of all things right and all things I know. But the correction to that error is not to dispense with doctrine altogether. Doctrine simply means teaching, and it's the teachings of God's Word that must renew our minds, because only as we are thinking rightly about who God is and who we are and what the world is and how salvation belongs to us, only then will we live rightly in this world. So someone might groan and and say, uh, you mean I need to study the book of Romans? Uh, I have to work to understand all this teaching from the Apostle Paul in order to live for Christ and the answer is yes. But even more, the whole of God's word is before us to read and to study, to learn and to know. And the call of God in his word is that we should know his word. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul tells the church how he is praying for them. Namely, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of Of your hearts enlightened. And there's that connection between heart and mind, or perhaps, again, better said, between mind and heart. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And there's the emphasis on what we know, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. So, where do we go to learn the power of God? Is, is it in the thunderstorm? Is it in the earthquake? Is it in the hurricane? Is it in things that are yet to happen? No, we we learn the power of God toward us, teaches Paul, in the work that God has done in Christ to save us from our sins. In other words, we learn the power of God for us in Romans 1 through 11. Certainly, among other passages of Scripture as well, and even, indeed, in the whole of God's Word. Even more, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10 says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is no mistaking in Scripture the call of God to knowledge, the call to know what God's Word teaches. And it takes a concerted effort to miss the the connection in Scripture between the knowledge of God and our ability, our equipping to live for Christ. We will not be conformed to this world, but will be transformed only by the renewal, by the renewing of our minds. So let's finish by bringing it down to these points of, of application. Uh, are you struggling with, with sin in your life? Uh, how do you suppose that you're going to overcome that sin and, and triumph in, in in obedience? Only as the word of God comes to dwell more richly within you. Are you battling anxiety, wanting more peace in your heart? And and where do you suppose peace comes from? The peace of God is is found in the knowledge and the remembrance of Christ and the and the believer's security in Him. Are you wanting joy or contentment or the ability to forgive someone who has hurt you? Uh, and, and how or where will you find and receive such blessings? Well, certainly through prayer, but not by prayer alone. The peace of God is not a, a mysterious wave that, that washes over us. Joy is not a, a, a leap of blind faith as if we might decide in and of ourselves just to be happy. All such blessings are found in the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God is revealed to us in Christ and in the doctrines of his word. It's worth pointing out that when Paul writes of the renewal of our minds, it's not something that, it's not a one, what do they say, one one and done. It's not something that happens once and then we're all set. Once we come to the knowledge of faith, it must be a knowledge that is renewed upon our minds again and again. The world and our flesh will constantly tell us that there is no God, that our knowledge of God uh, is is useless, is pointless, so that that knowledge needs to be renewed. The, The world and our flesh will tell us that we are sinners and that God couldn't possibly forgive us and love us, so that our knowledge of the grace of God must be renewed. The world and our flesh will tell us that sin is a small matter and not worth fighting. So that our knowledge of Christ and his cross must be renewed. The call of God not to be conformed to to this world is a daily call. And we will answer that call each day only by a daily renewal of our minds. So in the end, the reading and study of God's word is, is not an optional discipline in the Christian life. We, we make a distinction between doctrine and life. But in truth, doctrine is life. Because doctrine is the teaching of God's word and God's word is life. And it is power to us. And in the end, a catechism like the Heidelberg or, or one of the Westminster catechisms they can be valuable tools for us and encourage you to use them, especially our own standards. And why? Because the catechisms will will summarize for us the the teachings of God's Word, the Reformed faith, as we call it, and, and, and they will state clearly to us the teachings of God's Word, the very teachings of Scripture that are the knowledge of God and the very knowledge of God that we need for the daily renewal of our minds. That's all I have. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Thank you for your word. Help us to see, O oh God, its essential, crucial role in our lives. Help us indeed, um, by your mercies, to offer ourselves daily as living sacrifices Help us to see that this is reasonable. This is the logical response. And uh, and as we fail, as we will, uh, call us back. Bring us uh, to yourself again uh, through your word in the knowledge of your grace and, uh, and of, of Christ our Savior. And uh, make us to be boys and girls, men and women of your word, uh, always in prayer and always in Always seeking to not be conformed, but to be transformed through your word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.